Hey, I'm Matt Wallman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Joining me once again, Dwayne McFarland with Pro Football Focus. Dwayne, always a pleasure to get to do this with you every week. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Love coming on. Just a chance to talk football. Um, it's going to be tough to follow up last last week's two teams. Those were pretty exciting. I'm sure people had to listen to that on like one and a half speed. Yeah, pro- <laughs> <laughs> probably. And we haven't even gotten. I think I can now fit it onto the, our, my monthly budget for the for the podcast. So that should Free be podcast. uploaded absolutely with the Ravens and the Browns. And as a kind of a Ravens-Browns combination fan. It's kind of a pleasure to say that it's going to be tough to follow up with those two division teams by talking about the Steelers and the Bengals. So, you know, but these are two, again, two compelling teams for interesting reasons. So, you know, in this projection series that we've been doing, of course, we talk about, you know, what happened a little bit last year, what they're looking like heading into this year, and then go through our methodologies for why we projected the offensive skill players the way we have. So without further ado, let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers because they're likely in the mix for the division crown this year. Um, the Browns probably being the, the dark horse trying to vie for a, a playoff spot. The Ravens, the defending champs, then the Steelers, after a disastrous year last year where they lost Ben Roethlisberger, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster for a period of time, they lost James Conner for a period of time, um, and then they even lost Mason Rudolph for a period of time. Um, they were down to kind of bare bones with their offense with some young receivers, young running backs, still a really strong offensive line, but when your skill players aren't all that experienced and can't make adjustments and maybe aren't you know, as fluid and as good in terms of their rapport and and feel for the rest of the team, doesn't really matter how good your offensive line is at that point. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we head into this year because most of the offensive lines intact, they still have got Marquise Pouncey, a terrific center. They still have DeCastro, one of the best guards in the game. You you know, they still have Villanueva. Um, You know, they, they have a new young, I believe, guard who's, they, I don't remember was the Louisville kid. I'm trying to remember who the the new guard yeah, is. Yeah, well, right. They they did sign, um, you know, Wisniewski for now um, to play, you know, left guard. And he slotted in as the starter. That's right. right now. But yeah, I was I was actually looking to see who you were referring the Lu- to. The Louisiana kid. That's what it is. I don't remember his name, but big old Louisiana dude who's like can run block right now. It's the pass protection that they're a little bit concerned about. But I'll we'll look if you find it bring it up but it's a good you know it's a it's a still a very good offensive line um and you get Ben Roethlisberger back um you get James Conner who has said that this is the first time since he had lymphoma that he back at, to the second to last year before he um left Pittsburgh um the Kevin Dotson sorry Kevin Dotson there you go so the um you know that James Conner has reworked his body, and this is the first time he's gotten to, to be able to train for um, really several years, really like three or four years. And he's progressively missed more and more games um, from his rookie year to last year. Entering his fourth year, he said he's remade his body, doing mostly just body weight exercises, and this is the best he's felt since he entered college. So that's an interesting development we'll talk a little bit about. Of course, they drafted uh, a McFarland and Anthony McFarland and they and they added you know and then you they added Chase Claypool 
and Deontay Johnson's coming off a good year. Juju Smith-Schuster's back. And then they also added Eric Ebron to the mix after, you know, they already had a pretty good tight end in Vance McDonald. Um, so this could be an offense that looks a lot closer to 2018 than it did what it was like in 2019 if you're an optimist. If you're a pessimist, you might be like, well, James Conner's on the wrong side of the injury trend. Ben Roethlisberger's just getting old, you know, and and then when you look at everybody else other than Juju Smith-Schuster, um, who's really proven from that standpoint? And then Eric Ebron, you kind of flip a coin to what kind of year he's going to have, and really you're probably going to keep saying best two out of three every time you do flip that coin um, because it's unlikely that he's gonna you're going to have a 50-50 shot of him doing even well on uh, at that point. So if you're a pessimist, you're like, this team could be on its way down. Yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head. I mean, it's it's it, it was a team where when I got to it, um, and I'll be interested to see where you landed. It was like, okay, what do we think they're going to do? I know what they've done in the past, so you kind of have to lean towards that. But I've definitely been paying attention to uh, you know everything that the team says to try to get some kind of line. And sometimes it's tough, right? With some of these coaches, you just can't get anything. Um, you know. And, and, you know, Tomlin talks a lot more than the coordinator does. And so uh, Tomlin is one of those guys that, you know, he'll talk a lot about James Conner. He talks a lot about the players, but he doesn't give away, you know, a lot, you know, about really what they're going to do schematically or, or what he, he always talks about balance, even in years when they weren't really balanced, right? Even in years when they pass the ball all the time. Now they've now to, I think what he means by that is they've still always been able to be two dimensional. They've always been a threat to run the ball, even when they were throwing the ball a lot. So I think really that's what, you know, where he's going with those comments. But if you look at, you know, the team, it's what's crazy is that they even won eight games last year, Matt. I mean, with the quarterback situation that they had, you know, Roethlisberger was only out there for week one. Um, and, and you're dealing with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. And I mean, it was just a mess, you know, and, and you had Juju Smith-Schuster hurt his toe at the end of, you know, week one. People forget that, you know, because he was practicing through it. You know, but he was just never really the same receiver after that. Like you said, James Conner was hurt, you know, off and on. So, they just never could truly get things on track. And for them to even finish eight and eight is crazy. You know, their average margin of victory was minus 0.9. That has to be one of the better coaching jobs, you know, that we've seen. Um, Offensively, they ranked at a minus 4.3 versus the league, but defensively is, is where they're really, really good. You know, so you've got Dupree and you've got Watt, you know, on the outsides, and then you've got Tewitt and Hayward inside. I mean, Tewitt and Hayward, man, talk about a handful and then you've got you know the the rookie linebacker last year in bush um and then you know you've got some decent you know cornerbacks too you've got hayden you've got nelson um they've got a cornerback they really like in hilton um so the the defense is 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 good enough but if yeah and you added minka i mean so and, and really he was kind of a game changer when he came over you know he kind of brought that whole unit together he you know with him able to put a cap on the back end and protect things and then make plays um, you know he made several huge plays you know from the time he came over so that's where i do start to wonder right okay if the, the defense is this good could they try to protect roethlisberger a little bit more could they try to go you know a little bit more balanced or are we going to see the same 60 40 i mean you don't have antonio brown now 
Um, now Deontay Johnson played really well as a rookie. You still got James Washington. You draft Chase Claypool. You like you said added Eric Ebron. So I mean you've got you know, you've got some weapons, um, but to me you're going to have to be able to be more schematically sound to do things with them. The thing I don't like about Fickner as an offensive coordinator is he just seems very it's very much hey go out execute the guy across from you. When you have a really good quarterback like Roethlisberger and you've got receivers that have been there for a really long time and they know each other and they can operate at an elite level, I think sometimes those things can work, right? But it's almost kind of like what we saw at the end with Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. I feel like it's getting a little stale. They don't use a lot of motion. They don't use a lot of interesting formations. They don't really try to confuse defenses. And I think now without Antonio Brown, and if you do have any kind of questions around Juju, it seems like you've got to find other ways to keep, you know, opposing defenses off balance. But I'll be very interested, you know, to see, you know, how it works out from a standpoint. Are they going to move more to a balanced approach or are we going to continue to be, you know, this this pass heavy team? You know, they did lose. Uh, Javon Hargrove, who was also another really good, you know, frontline player. Yeah. I mean, they, the Steelers were so great at drafting those guys. Um, you know, they do uh, an excellent job with those, and then they're also pretty good receivers. So I, I'm super excited to talk about them. You know, if you think just about Vegas this year, they've got them projected at nine and a half wins. I've got them at a team, as a team, at 1,025 plays. Last year, of course, it was terrible. They only ran 905 attempts, but every year before that, you know, they're in the 1,000, 1,100 thousand to eleven hundred play range you know Roethlisberger is a guy that you know he helps keep the offense moving um so if you think about you know what they did you know last year and to try to protect those quarterbacks you know the year before in neutral situations they passed 67 percent and ran only 33 percent so neutral situation means the score is within three either way and you exclude two minute warnings last year that went to 53 percent pass and 47 percent run so they were clearly you know trying to lean on the defense last year we're trying to protect, uh, you know, the, the the quarterbacks. Trying basically not to lose the game. The, the less that those guys had to do, the less chance there was of losing. Um, now, personnel-wise, they still did. They didn't try to go heavy or anything like that. They still did most everything um, out of eleven personnel. Eleven personnel, which was seventy percent last year, and it was sixty-nine percent the year before. The other formation they used the most is, is twelve, which they used twenty percent of the time. Um, I think that could change a little bit, you know, this year. Um, depending on what they still think of McDonald and thing and, and, and how they do with the receivers. Um, you know, let's see how, you know, uh, Claypool does Deontay Johnson in his second year. Does Washington have anything to offer? Um, obviously, you know, Juju, I, I think is still going to be good, but he needs help. You know, he's not a kind of, he's not the kind of guy I don't think that can just take everything on, on his own. So I still have them as being more of a pass heavy team, Matt, I've got them at 59% pass uh, and 40 and, uh, 41% run on a thousand and twenty-five plays. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm about a thousand forty-one plays, and I have them like they were in 2018. I've at 63% pass, um, 47% or 37% run, um, and you know that's. I, I just look at this and I think they know Ben Roethlisberger is nearing the end. You know, they could do the whole John Elway, let's protect him kind of thing. Or they could just let them flame out, you know. And I and I kind of look at it as I think they have the line. I think they know that they need him to be able to make plays. And I look at Eric Ebron as kind of more of a of a wide receiver than I look at him as a tight end in this particular yeah. offense. So really, you look at guys like Claypool and and Ebron. There, you know, when they go eleven, they may start off looking in twelve occasionally or do twelve, but I'm sure they'll shift to eleven with Ebron on the field. And Vance McDonald on the field. So, yeah, I'm 
I'm about there with you. I just have a, excuse me, I have a higher percentage for the pass than, than you do. And it's just more rooted in, I'm just looking at it as let's, they were successful in 2018, um, at least as an offense. Um, and they didn't have the, they got the defensive help they needed last year. Um, I think they're going to, I think they're going to throw the ball. Well, we're still close anyway. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, it's something that I'm keeping up with and I'm just wondering, you know, what's going to, what we're going to find out or how much we can even anticipate finding out because, you know, things are so quiet, Yeah. you know, right now with, with us not having any preseason games. Yeah. We hear about practices and stuff, but it just doesn't seem like we're getting as much. Um, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to follow it along for, for Roethlisberger. Um, you know, I've got him as missing two games. I've got Rudolph having to play two games. Wow. I've got I've got Roethlisberger at sixty seven percent completion uh, rate though on his five hundred and thirty eight attempts seven and a half yards and uh, per attempt so that's four thousand and thirty six yards a touchdown on five percent of his throws that's twenty seven touchdown passes and I've got him at thirteen interceptions I basically have him at almost no rushing yards thirty eight um, with one touchdown and then I've got Rudolph um, at sixty one percent passing six point six yards per attempt at five hundred and seven yards. And I've got him at a uh, 3% uh, touchdown rate. So that's two touch or sorry, uh, 4%. So that's three touchdowns for him and then two picks. And that's basically, you know, it. So if you look at, you know, those two things, you know, added together, you know, you've got 4,543 passing yards and 30 passing touchdowns. Nice. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I would probably give Mason Rudolph a couple of opportunities, but then Miles Garrett's going to come out and he's probably going to decide to stay on the bench. <laughs> so they'll probably no. Okay. Anyway, My, that's, I only have that for Roethlisberger based on injury, just because he misses one to two games, you know, pretty much every year. And that, so that makes total sense. But um, I I don't, and I probably should consider that, you know, considering that I did that with Carson Wentz. I, I did give Ben Roethlisberger a full credit of games. I've met 665 attempts um, for a 68% completion percentage, um, 4,890 yards in terms of 4,890 yards, 7.35 yards per attempt, and 28 touchdowns. Um, I just think the red zone is going to be a little bit more difficult with these young receivers, and they'll probably lean on James Conner a little bit more in that end of the spectrum. Um, 16 interceptions. I'm for like you, 31 attempts, 98 yards, and and three touchdowns. Just because you know, Big Ben can kind of lean his way across, you know, a little bit on on some of those. So I, I think that those opportunities will be there for him. Um, you know, when it, so you don't see him as being, you don't see Antonio the Antonio Brown, you know, loss as really being you know too much for him. No, and and the reason being is, and it's a great question because last year I did. Last year I was. Very much down. I know. I remember. That's why I'm like, (laughs) so what changed? Yeah, what changed? Because I was really down on Juju Smith-Schuster. Everyone had him as a top three guy. I was like, he's lucky if he's 18th, you know, for the year. And this year, now that he's like down in the range of like, you can get him as your second or third receiver in some, you know, in terms of depending on your strategy for drafting, I'm all about Juju Smith-Schuster now. And I think the reason being is, you, you've identified someone in Dante Johnson. So Deontay Johnson, who I think can do some work to stretch the field. I like Deion Kane, even though I don't think he's, he's probably competing for a roster spot. I still think what he can do as a deep receiver has some merit. 
because James Washington may not have to be the man with Eric Ebron and Deontay Johnson establishing themselves. I think James Washington can get some high leverage targets that will be helpful because, you know, everybody's like, I don't know what we can do with James Washington. Well, I'm like, well, when you watch him, it's like, yeah, the, the route running and rapport isn't there, but geez, man, you just, if you get the ball within range of him, he's going to yeah. come. He's, He's great as just kind of a contested catch player. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, he's. I mean, like if he was especially a, for his for his height, like he's. Yeah, he plays he plays very big. Yeah, if you could get if he just if he improves his route running just to where he's competent, he'll be a he'll be a top twenty five receiver in this league. You know, if you can get, just get him to like be where he's supposed to be, um, you know, with most of his routes, and then. You know, I just think Eric Ebron will have a good year. I think that, you know, even though I joked about the whole coin flipping thing, I think when you combine those weapons, and the biggest weapon of all to me is James Conner. I just think that, I think that James Conner is poised for a year that was similar to 2018. Um, I think he's going to have, I'll just give it away. I think he's going to catch nearly 70 targets for over 500 yards. I don't believe a lick about these other running backs that are in the equation here. Um, in terms of them being real factors this year. And I think James Conner's going to ball out. I think he's going to be a top five back this year. Um, and I think you're getting him, you can get him basically 30 picks after that, you know, and still and still wind up with you know, a guy that you can get as your second or third back and have a terrific draft plan working around with that. So as a result, um, I just look at Roethlisberger and I think that, there's enough to spread around here that he that Smith Schuster will be fine. Um, he may not be a he'll be more of a Jarvis Landry type of receiver, you know, where you're going to target the hell out of him. He's not going to give you a high catch per average or average per catch, um, but he's going to get a lot of targets his way, and he's going to convert them. So. You know, if we're going to start off, I'll say, listen, I've got Juju Smith-Schuster at 157 targets, catching 115 of them for 1,298 yards and 11.3 yards per catch average. Wouldn't even be surprised if it's a yard lower than that um, and and scoring seven touchdowns. Um, James Washington, I have him at 70 targets right now. That's kind of optimistic, but I have him at 70 for 34 um, receptions, which isn't that optimistic, um, for 526 yards, really leading this team in yards per catch at 15.7 um, and three touchdowns. Um, Ryan Switzer, I don't have him making the team. Um, he very well could, but I don't have him making it. Um, Chase Claypool, I think he's going to be the second leading wide receiver, 65 targets. 41 catches, 575 yards for 14 yards per catch and four touchdowns. I think that Claypool, what he does well, will be good enough for what they want to do with Roethlisberger. Um, Deontay Johnson, actually, Deontay Johnson's the second leading receiver. I was fixing to say, yeah. man, this is breaking news. If you're yeah. saying that about Claypool, I was yeah. about to have to tell you, to, you got to break that down for us. Yeah, yeah. No, I have Deontay Johnson ahead. I have Deontay Johnson at... This is me furiously overriding down Claypool's. Good God. Wasn't yeah. that have Claypool at? Right, 
right? Yeah. Sorry about that. Deontay Johnson, I have at 77 targets for 48 catchers for 568 yards and four touchdowns at 11.8 per reception. Um, he will probably do better than that. I, I, He's a guy that I will probably be raising within this month um, for a higher yards per catch average. Probably more targets to him, fewer to Claypool. Um, and then I have Deontay, or excuse me, Deion Kane, just making the club 19 catches, mm-hmm. 13, or 19 targets, 13 catches, 189 yards for 14.5, a catch and a touchdown. But, you know, I just think that they're going to spread it out where you're going to get about 1,500 yards between three receivers and then nearly 1,300 yards for, for the fourth guy. Um, and that's kind of how that, that will look to me. Yeah, we're 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 close. Um, so on Juju, I've got 23% of the targets, 141 targets, uh, 92 receptions, 1,103 yards. That's 12 yards per catch, and I've got him at seven touchdowns. So we're we're really close. Um, would it surprise me if he was a little higher than that? No, but the reason I don't have him higher than that is who you just mentioned. You know, which is Deontay Johnson. Um, you know, he was really impressive, you know, for being, you know, uh, a player that was drafted later in the draft to come in and be able to do what he did, you know, as a rookie. And so, you know, whenever I look at him, you know, even in the games where he and Juju both played full, he averaged 22% of the targets and Juju averaged 19%. Now that's not with Roethlisberger, but it's still interesting to note that, you know, when they were both fully healthy and on the field together, he was actually getting more targets than, than, you know, Smith Schuster. Now to your point, Part of that is because Smith Schuster had had his big year. There was no one else that people were really respecting, so people were probably looking to take him away. And like I said, also people don't realize that Smith Schuster was he was playing banged up most yeah. of the year. So I expect him to perform much better um, this season. Um, but I still found it interesting, you know, that that Johnson was the top target, you know, in those games. He worked, you know, short to intermediate. He had an average depth of target of about nine and a half. Only seven percent of his uh, targets were contested. Um, and if you look at wide receivers, I'm trying to remember, I had this written down um, earlier. I was looking at some stuff, you know, for the show. But as far as receivers with, I can't remember how many routes it was, Matt, that you had to have to qualify. Uh, I want to say it had to be at least 200 routes, 200 receiving snaps. That's usually, you know, the number that, uh, that I look at. You know, if you look at the percentage of times that he was actually wide open on his targets, 56%. One of the tops in the league. Um, you know, he's a guy that creates good separation. Um, he's a guy that runs really good routes. So uh, he just seems to be a savvy player, you know, that gets it. You know, um, he did well against man coverage. He did okay against zone. So he didn't really have, you know, any, you know, kind of weakness. Now, a lot of times when you split man and zone, that's more just about, you know, the, the read, the progression that it takes the quarterback to, you know, than the player. Um, so, um, I'm super excited about Deontay Johnson. So I've got him a little bit higher um, than where you had. I have him at 20% of the targets. I've got him, that's 123. I've got him at 80 catches, also at 12 yards per catch for 960 yards and six touchdowns. So I have him and Smith Schuster together combining for 20 yards and 13 touchdowns. Wow. 2,000 yards, sorry, and 13 touchdowns. Then I have James Washington, very similar to you. I've got him as the guy that's going to work deep. I've got him at 15 yards per catch. Uh, you, I think you said 70 targets. I've got him at 68. I've got his catch rate lower because he is working further down the field, a 55% catch rate. The other two guys are at a 65%. So 37 catches, uh, 15 yards a catch, 558 yards. But I also have him at five touchdowns. I don't have him that far behind those guys because I think he's going to produce some of those big plays and he can go up and do some of those things that you talked about earlier. 
Um, and then after that, um, I do have, I'm with you. I have Deion Kane making the team. I do not have Ryan Switzer on the team. And I have Chase Claypool as the fourth uh, option in the passing game for receivers. Uh, but only 31 targets this year, 17 receptions, 237 yards, and one touchdown. Um, if I'll go ahead and jump over to the tight ends. Um, I have Ebron at 12%. So, so far, I've got Smith Schuster as the number one target, Deontay Johnson as the two, and the third most targeted player I have is Eric Ebron at 12%. That's 74 targets. I've got him at 46 catches, but almost 12 yards per reception at 530 yards, and I have him at almost five touchdowns. So I have the touchdowns. I don't have any one person getting all these touchdowns. I've got Smith Schuster and Deontay Johnson getting more of the catches and yards, but the touchdowns I really have spread out across these guys. I think they all have an opportunity to contribute, you know, um, down in inside the red zone as well as inside the five. Um, as far as uh, you know, any of these other guys, I, we can cover running backs here in a minute. Um, but Vance McDonald, you know, I've got him at seven percent. He's still going to be on the field. Got him at thirty receptions, three hundred and thirty yards, and I have him at two touchdowns as well. Cool. So this is interesting because you, you know when you look at this, you know Deontay Johnson. I mean, he's a guy I'm probably going to end up increasing, as I said. Um, but I have Ebron and Johnson almost even as the second leading receiver in the passing game and I have um, Ebron at 78 targets 53 catches 651 yards for 12.2 per catch and five touchdowns Vance, we're really close yeah on we're that. really close on that Vance McDonald 50 targets 30 catches just like you <laughs> 299 in terms of yards 9.96 per catch zero touchdowns Zach Gentry, I have him for 2,500 yards. He's going to be the greatest tight end of all time. <laughs> Mike Ditka is going to ask for his autograph. Um, Kellen uh, Winslow is going to be, like, asking for lessons. Um, no, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, so when it comes to, to that, I agree. It's going to be spread around. But let's get to the running game. And, and I'm just going to lead him with James Conner because I talked about this. And I just think people have written him off. Um, and, and a lot of it is because... They drafted Benny Snell the year before, who is a rugged back who runs with balance and runs with high effort, but I think he's a bit of a plotter. I'm not really mm -hmm. like, you, you know, and not the plotter the way people define LeGarrette Blunt, who was never really a plotter, um, you know, but, you know, there's that. And there's Anthony McFarlane, who has great speed, and as I talk about a lot with running backs, people get seduced by great speed. So um, he's got great speed. He can catch. He's with certain types of schemes. He can run pretty well. And the Steelers use a lot of gap. So he may thrive as a complimentary back in gap, but I don't think it's going to be so much this year. Jalen Samuels is still like a fish out of water at his position in a, in a way like, he's still he can be good like he can do some good work for you but there's too much here in terms of this committee and what makes me laugh is that, that when i look at the steelers i think their two best backs are the back that's going to be the feature back that mike tomlin said after the draft james connor's going to be our feature back i don't have any reason not to believe that um and then their 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 next best back if you ask me is a guy who's not going to make the team his name's kareth white who teamed with uh, Devin Singletary at FAU. He's a 4-3-40 guy. If you like speed, you're going to like that. 
but he also ran pretty darn well with the Steelers um, last year when he signed with the team after getting cut by the Bears, another team that does a really good job of choosing his personnel. Um, so um, when it comes down to to, to Kareth White, I think he's he. If there's a guy that could be the next Raheem Mostert in terms of bouncing around to multiple teams, finding a home somewhere, anybody go? Who the hell is that guy? Um, when he comes onto the comes in and starts playing really well behind a decent offensive line, I think it's going to be him. Um, so, but when I look at Connor, I mean, I looked at last year and just decided I'm not worried about last year. I, I'm I want to see the year before. And I based him off the year before because what I saw from this guy, he has enough burst to get into the secondary. He's not going to be a breakaway guy. He's got great contact balance. He can carry the load for you when he's healthy. He's an excellent pass catcher. I mean, when you watch some of the plays from 2018, him going up to win some of these targets, he's as good as anybody on the field with some of the adjustments that he can make. Um, so, and I'm buying the logic that he remade his body in terms of why he can do that and why that's not as big of a deal. You know, I was on the audible with, and when I mentioned that Bloom ever, the, the inter pessimist that he is as a Steelers fan was like, well, you know, all that, all that weight work doesn't work well. It makes you really stiff. And I was like, well, he said he did body weight. He didn't do weights, didn't do free weights. So, you know, body weights actually promote more flexibility as a result anyway if you're doing them the right way um i think james connor's i I got him for 265 attempts 1198 in terms of yards nearly 1200 yards rushing at 4.5 a clip i'm scoring 11 touchdowns this year on the ground i haven't gotten to the receiving yet so i've been 87 targets 68 receptions 512 receiving yards at 7.5 a catch and three touchdowns so i'm at I have him basically at almost a at over 1700 yards from scrimmage and 14 touchdowns and while I was I shouldn't have changed my mind about Derrick Henry last year after you gave me such good logic that I changed my mind I'm <laughs> you're probably going to give me good logic why this shouldn't be the case and I should change my mind but I'm not I'm sticking with James <laughs> Conner No uh I've actually written about you know, Connor, um, just last week that he could be, you know, we're aligned that he could be the key to winning your draft. Um, you know, he's the guy that when you look at, if you're a fantasy player, if you look at the draft, if you look at the players, you know, going ahead of him, um, there are several that based on the utilization, I think that he's going to get and the talent and, and, you know, some of the other things you talked about, you know, as far as he's a really good fit for what they do. Um, if you think about it from a standpoint of, uh, you know, last year they ran power 16%. They ran, you know, gap blocking 23%. Um, they're not a big inside zone or outside zone team. You know, they run the most power. You know, if you th- look across all the concepts, you know, another 10% with a pulling lead blocker. Um, so they're doing these things when you add all those up. Um, it's what they're really good at, and it's what James Conner, um, you know, excels at. And so when I look at it in the first eight games last year before he got hurt, and this is this is playing for a terrible team, um, you know, he averaged 63% of the attempts, you know, so I think that's kind of your, it's an easy place, you know, to start. But then if you, you know, look, look a little bit further back and to your point earlier, you know, Tomlin talking about he's the feature runner and, you know, Tomlin went on to explain that more. The, the excerpt that people see is, 
oh, great, fantasy. James Conner's my feature runner. But he actually went on to explain why. He said, because your offensive linemen get really good at a base set of plays. And you have a running back that can execute those plays really well. And that sets up everything. And so really, he's planning on Connor when he makes a when he backs up a statement with something like that, that's telling you what are they going to be practicing all the time? The stuff that James Connor is really good at. Guess who James Connor's handcuff is? It's who you already said. He's more of a plotter, but it will be Benny Snell. If James Connor goes down, his handcuff probably won't be Anthony McFarlane. I think you'll see Benny Snell be the lead guy. And then I think you'll see Samuels working more as the pass receiving back. And then McFarlane will spell Snell from time to time. You know, but if it's James Conner, I think, you know, it's his show. And then you'll get a little work from those other guys. I think less Snell, you know, Snell's the guy that would give him a breather, right? But if they want to change a pace, it'll be McFarlane. If they get in the two-minute drill and they really, you know, want to give Samuel some kind of opportunity, they could do a little bit of that, of that there. Um, but when you hear, you know, Tomlin truly, you know, explain it, you know, he goes on to say, you know, he says, uh, you know, that he prefers to build all of those roles off of the feature runner role. Um, who really provides the offense with that opportunity to get into a rhythm. So he's really, you know, kind of old school in that way. He believes that you let your your runner wear people down. He believes that you let them get in a rhythm and you let your offensive linemen do the things they're going to be really good at. And they've got a feel for the running back. So, and I think that's why if you look over historically, Matt, now that I, I've never heard Tomlin explained that way. I'd always heard him say, oh, I just like a feature back and yeah, the data backs it up. But when you hear him say it that way, it makes perfect sense. And so when you look back 2018, Connor, 76% of the carries. Le'Veon Bell, the years before that, 79%, 86%. The year before that was D'Angelo Williams at 51% because Bell got hurt. But then you have 2014, 70% of the lead back. 2013, 77% of the lead back. Yeah, in 12, they didn't because they had nobody. Jonathan Dwyer was their lead carry. Oh, yeah, the Georgia Tech special. Yeah, two th- yeah, yeah, yeah. 2011 was Richard Mendenhall at 56%, but he was on his way out. He didn't finish the season that year. But the years before that, 79% to Mendenhall, 61% to Mendenhall, 67% to Willie Parker, 67% to Willie Parker. So basically, if he has one, he uses it. And I've heard a lot of folks, you know, actually just over the last couple of days say the Steelers are going to be nothing like what they were you know, in 18. And I think you and I both kind of concede that we're like, okay, how we do think they're going to be good, but we, it's plausible. We both get it right. That they could come out and not be as good as, you know, they were right. You're missing Antonio Brown Ben Roethlisberger's another couple of years or, or older. So yeah, we get it. They could be a little bit worse, but the other narrative I'm hearing is that, Oh, James Connor's just not, I'm like you, they're just James Connor isn't, you know, he's not gonna, that's Mike Tomlin just talking. You know what? Sometimes coaches are just talking but sometimes they're not. And you have to learn how to figure out which one is which. And it's not always easy and you're still not always right. But when you have a track record like the one I just talked about and then you break down the quotes that he gave yeah. and then you think about the scheme they run, yeah. all the things we just talked about. And you Free put them together, money. Yes, he's going to be the guy. <laughs> yeah. He could easily, like I like Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs better, right, as pure talent. But James Conner is probably going to be in a better situation yes. because I don't think he's going to come off the field much like you. Now, I've got him projected right in the same range with those guys, but that's what I've been telling folks is, look, if if you want – one way to think about the drafts this year that I really like, Matt, is let's say you're at the top of the first and you get to take – and I know we don't always do this. We, we're talking football here. Sure, but, but still, This fantasy aspect for a second. I mean, say you get to take a Dalvin Cook or you get to take a Kamara, whoever, Zeke. You come back down at the end of the second round and someone like Kittle 
or Kelsey slides to you with all the questions around you. We've talked about some of them, right? DeAndre Hopkins and other guys. Yeah. I like taking Kittle or Kelsey if they're there and then turning around. And in the third round, I take Connor. Yeah. Now I've got my two runners. I've got a great tight end that's going to give me advantage over the field. And guess what I can do? I can just plow through receivers until I think it's time that I need to grab another runner. I have another couple of names that if they slide to me, I'll do it. But otherwise, I'm just taking all the value at receiver. And I think it's a really good strategy, you know, this year is that runner, tight end runner, if you're down in that range, especially if you can get – I've done it even with Mark Andrews, but we'll, we'll talk about – yeah. we talked about him last week. But – I like it with Kittle and Kelsey. Yeah, I've recommended the same thing. I just wrote a wrote a piece for football guys basically called the the um running back, the 2020 running back draft guide supreme. Um basically talking about a variety of strategies working around running backs. And yeah. I just identified basically from the first round all the way through to to like obscure guys in camp that you may not even see make a roster yet unless, you know, who may end up end up playing because of COVID-19 I give you a list of guys that I like and why I like them and then give you suggestions in terms of actionable items in terms of how you should start your drafts and then also the whole upside down do the opposite zero RB type of strategy however you call it um, you know and and give you some ideas with that but for me James Conner has been the guy that I look at and go listen I'll take him at the end of the first round at the turn like as my second back on the way back knowing I won't get him again just because I have him rated fifth Josh Jacobs rated sixth in my projections and Nick Chubb rated ninth so why am I going to waste any of my time and diddle around with like, yeah, I guess I could maybe get Chris Carson. Maybe I could get David Johnson and I could wait. But I, I would even consider that. I'd, I absolutely like you if I were in the first five picks in a snake draft at the end of the second round. Absolutely, I would be taking, um, you know, either at the end of the second round or early third round taking James Conner, especially depending on the league that I'm in. You know, and and he's a you know, it's just a great opportunity. And I love how you describe how Tomlin, how you analyze what Tomlin said, you know, in terms of how they use their backs, what they're looking for, how that sets up the rest of the offense and why running backs matter. So there we go. So, 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 but seriously though, and then they'll say, well, what about Le'Veon Bell? But, um, but the point, because that's where it all started. So, um, but we still think about all this and, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have James Conner, I think at 64% of the, the, the touches this year. Um, I've got him at 62.5. So we're right there. I've got him at 256 carries. Yeah. Uh, 1,089 yards, so we're close there as well. And I've got him at nine rushing touchdowns. Sweet. Where do you have him at as a receiver? Uh, receiver, I'm a little lower than you. Um, so that is an area where, where Jalen Samuels did take a little bit from him um, last year. So if you look if you look at James Ronner, James Connors' routes ran um, before – hey, can I uh, – I have this cool visual. Can I share my screen? You now? can share your screen. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen with you. Um, let me pop this open, and we'll do this. I don't know if you even put this on YouTube, but if you do, people will be able to see this. So let me know. There it is. Once you can, once you can see. All so right. um, this is you know just really around you know um, 
Connor's utilization, you know, last year. So if you'll look, what you have here um, for fantasy nerds, last year the RB1 on average had 68% of snaps. So basically what I've done is take all the underlying metrics that you see and not just think about, right, run, you know, the rushing attempts or just the yards and things like that. But what are the things you need to typically be a running back one on a weekly basis? So you'll see the lines, RB3, RB2. And you can see, you know, where Connor was. And the, up here you have the, the percentage of time that the team dropped back. So you can see when the game script changed, did the role change for the player? And then here you have the margin of victory, right? So if they lost really big, did that hurt them? Um, if they led really big, did the role change? Um, that sort of thing. Now with Connor, it's a little bit tougher because he had several games like here in week 11 where he got knocked out in that game. That's when he got that thigh bruise early in the game. It may have even been Monday night, uh, a Monday or a Thursday night game or something like that, if I remember correctly. But what I wanted to show you was what you were just talking about. So here are the running back routes ran for a running back one right here. And it's right at 22 per game. And then a running back two is at 18. And then down here you have targets. Um, so if you look at last year, the year before, I don't, I didn't lay it over this because it gets too confusing. The year before Connor was always up here. So this is where Jalen Samuels did impact James Connor last year. He was only an RB one as far as the number of routes ran one time now he did get over the threshold for targets or hit the threshold three times in the year which still isn't bad considering the games you know that he missed so what was interesting is that made me think i'm like okay well what did he and jalen samuels do whenever they were on the field together and what i found or not together but when they were both healthy and they played in a game now it wasn't a huge sample I, it was only four games but in those games with jalen samuels still healthy and and connor fully healthy even though Connor wasn't on the field as much, he lost about 40% of his routes to Jalen Samuels last year. And eventually that's going to hurt him, but he was still very efficient. When he was out there, they did get the ball to him. He averaged 16% target share in those games, even though he was only seeing half the routes that he saw the year before. So it's, it, that doesn't mean that's guaranteed to follow through. I would much rather see, right, that his routes, you know, stayed up here in this RB1 range. So if I have any question about James Conner, it is literally just how much are they going to use Jalen Samuels? They clearly didn't just move away from Conner and say, oh, you're just a, you're just a, you know, a running back that's going to run between the tackles now, run power, and we're never going to pass to you. They still threw the ball to him, but they did give some of that, you know, to Samuel. So, Whenever I look at my projections, I've got him at 11% of the targets because of that. Okay. But, but I realize there's a range of outcomes where he could easily be at 13, 14, you know, 15%. Um, so this this was the one thing that had me, you know, a little bit, you know, concerned um, about Connor. Um, so anyway, I have him for receiving at 400 yards receiving. Um, on 68 targets, 51 receptions. That's eight yards per target. And I have him scoring two touchdowns. So I've got him at 265 fantasy points. He grades, if we're not just talking ranks, if we talk tiers, he grades in the same tier uh, that we just talked about. And actually I put him one tier ahead of those guys because I believe he is, um, you know, I believe he's one of those running backs that he's got a sight line to, to optimal utilization, meaning true bell cow utilization. Yeah. If he doesn't get hurt, I, I think he has a shot at that, which means he could finish in the top six, seven backs. Not many backs have that. You know, if you start looking at the guys after that, every one of them has, I think, more quite now Connor's question is the injuries and losing a little bit of the receiving work, but I'm comforted by the fact that he was still very involved from a target share standpoint. So 
So I've got him at a little bit less from a total yardage than you. I've got him at right at 1,500 total yards, and I've got him at 11 total touchdowns for 265. I have him as as having a ceiling of easily being able to be a top 12 back, and I have his floor as a top 24. Um, that doesn't account for injury, obviously. I think that's very reasonable, you know, and I think what you, you provided there in terms of analysis is – is is really good one question i would have as a follow-up to that is from last year mm -hmm. were those games where they were in together and he was quote unquote healthy were those games where it was after he had an injury or um and he would miss some time or was it before he had injuries it was before okay it was before so yeah. so then that gives a good reason as to why that maybe you know, there's reason to be a little bit more cautious about Connor in terms of the receiving game, but we're looking at a difference of about, you know, 15 to 18 receptions. I'm thinking about one, I'm looking at about 1.2, 1.3 more per game than you are. Um, mm -hmm. Then, and so, because I have Jalen Samuels basically at 48 targets for 38 receptions, 200 yards, and a we're, touchdown. We're exactly the same. Okay. <laughs> well, almost. I'm 49, 40, uh, well, 42 receptions, 314 yards, and, and two touchdowns. Yeah. So probably I'm a little bit more bullish on the, on the receiving yardage for Connor, and I'm taking a little bit more away from the receivers than I, than probably, um, than you are from that standpoint and giving it to Connor. Um, if, if I'm pretty solid on Samuels in the same regard, honestly, I don't think we need to even talk about the, the rest of the running backs for the Steelers because it's, I think it is good to let folks know what you think about Anthony McFarland, because I think there's a lot of buzz out there um, that, you know, he's really going to chew into James Connor's time. Well, that, that's the narrative that you hear. And to your point, a lot of it is about speed and an ability to create, you know, chunk plays and things like that, you know, but I think for the folks listening to this, Anthony McFarland's a name that they're hearing all the time. So, uh, you know, I would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on him and the scheme and just where you see, you know, what you see his role being. Yeah, I think he's in the right scheme in terms of the Steelers wanting to run a lot of power and gap. They allow him to be decisive. He's going to be able to hit creases and do a good job with that. But I think his time comes maybe later this year, next year, and and later this year only if Connor gets hurt. I think that McFarland still, he's not the next Chris Johnson, like who's just going to burst onto the scene and watch him be that way after I say that. But he's he's not, I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he he's more of a C.J. Spiller, Bishop Sankey, um, oh. you know, type of player where the ability's there. Tevin Coleman early in his career, you know, kind of like Darren McFadden, kind of like you need to put a compass on them so that they know where they're supposed to be. Um, like with McFarlane, what disturbed me is that there were too many plays where he'd get into the right crease, he'd pick the right crease, and then second-guess himself and try and bounce away from it and just not take on the defender at the end of the hole. So some other times you'd see him run hard, you go, that's great. So it, it it's one of those things that the, in, the inconsistency with this game just tells me that there's going to need to be a little bit more growth, um, and, and that growth and the maturity maybe something that never comes if he has hesitations about creases that are so obvious for most backs so i'm i'm a little bit more skeptical about him than others i've met 25 attempts 111 yards for 4.4 yards per carry and a touchdown and nine receptions for 47 yards so i'm not 
looking. I think that like if if James Conner gets hurt, then I think it's going to basically be a three-headed backfield with Jalen Samuels, Anthony McFarland, and Benny Snell. When really what it should be is a combination of you know Kareth White and 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 Benny Snell, but Kareth White's not even going to make this club. If or he's going to be protected on the practice squad, and then after these other guys here kind of like semi stink it up, um, maybe they'll they'll get Kareth White in there and allow him to do what what he does pretty darn well, which is um, pretty much everything. If you ask me, as a runner and a receiver, um, I'm just can't wait to see where he lands next time. Um, but yeah, that's that's my thoughts on them. I mean, Benny Snell, maybe he gets faster. But every time I see him, maybe he gets a little, you know, well, I mean, I know it sounds funny, but it's like. Uh, hey, dude, I remember, I remember after Le'Veon Bell's rookie season, me thinking how slow Le'Veon looked. And then the next year coming back tremor and just had that, the foot speed was better. I mean, yeah. And thinking, whoa, this guy's just a different player. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, that's my long saw. That's my saw. I always say have about Le'Veon Bell is that he tested you know, better than job as well as job and best in Ahmad Bradshaw on the quickness metrics um, before he lost that weight. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of this also comes down to getting acclimated to your line, getting acclimated to the league. Ray Rice looked slow his first year, came back his next year and looked like a world beater. And then when you take a look at a guy like Benny Snell, it might be the same thing. But my joke about Benny Snell was I keep thinking of the German term Schnell as in fast or and I want to say gay, I always think of gay Schneller, Mel. gay Schneller, like faster, man, go faster. But <laughs> what did you yeah, say? I, I think I, I think of the opposite snail, the slow one. Snail? Like, oh, the snail. <laughs> oh, yeah, the snail. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so there uh, we. This are. may be a re- this may be a record for how quickly we've done a team. I'm telling you, that's not bad. You know, Pittsburgh Steelers fans will probably say it's bias on my part that I don't like the Steelers, but I actually, the Steelers are like, you know, like I say, yeah, we hit everything. We did. And the NFC North, I mean, listen, man, I, I believe you root for your division after once they get into the playoffs. So I root for the Steelers if they make the playoffs just because they're part of the AFC North. So, well, we're going to split this show in half. So thanks again for watching. You can follow Dwayne McFarlane at Dwayne McFarlane as well as on Pro Football Focus. You can follow me at Matt Waldman at Matt Waldman on Twitter as well as MattWaldmanRSP.com and my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room. You can subscribe to this podcast. We would very much appreciate that, any feedback that you can give. And, of course, the RSP publication is for sale, the post-draft and pre-draft. You get a newsletter with it. You get well over 1500 pages worth of great information about the rookie class as well as um, with the newsletter the rookie class that will be coming up in 2021 highly recommend that for you it's the best thing that i do in this space by far and i think that you'll enjoy it if you enjoy this type of podcast and the type of uh film breakdowns that i do you guys have a great week